This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. This episode of Bushers Breakaway is brought to you by you. Thank you so much for listening. Happy New Year. Hope you have a wonderful holidays. We have Mike Kelly on of NHL Network today. Talk a lot about the Rangers, talk about the East, talk about the future of the Eastern Conference, and a bunch of other fun stuff. Greg and I talk baseball at the end, if you're interested in that. But uh, we also talk about a little bit of World Juniors and why it's great that Lafreniere did not go there. Uh, So fun episode overall. Hope you guys are having a wonderful holiday season. And uh, thanks so much for listening. It means the world to us. Happy New Year, everybody. Here we go. Here's Mark Messier. Hi everybody, it's Mark Messier, and you're listening to Blue Shirts Breakaway, the number one Rangers podcast. Bushwick fans, welcome to the week of Bushwick I am your host, Ryan Mead. I'm here with my co-host, Greg Kaplan. We are both of TheAthletic.com. Gregory, say hello. How you feeling, Ryan? How we doing? Okay. How we living? All right. Um, first things first, I think it's, it's time I apologize. I oh. stole your Christmas tradition. Um, Mine? You ate Chinese food? I did. <laughs> um, and uh, we waited in line for quite the long time. But it was delicious, and I have to say, a good idea on your part. So there you go. Dude, it's the best. The, it was but great. you don't get those. I, I, I apologize. You only got 50% of how my Christmas goes because. No movies. The, the movie the movie is such a key part. I know. It really is. I've seen so many good movies on Christmas Day because of, you know, right. not having to not worry about celebrating Christmas. I've done this rant on the podcast, though. Uh, some of you non-believers have started doing the movies on Christmas, and movie theaters have started really pumping out what movies they release on Christmas. Hey, assholes. <laughs> that day, you're supposed to be doing other things. You leave the movies to us, the, the true believers, the members of the tribe. Stay away from our movie theaters on Christmas. We don't we don't ask for much. We really don't. We tend to keep to ourselves. So fuck out of my movie theater. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> what you are referencing, though, in my sad boy situation is actually not the Henrik Lundqvist uh, open heart surgery, which, of course, we wish him the best. Uh, I don't really know or how to talk more about that. We talked about it and we did a rant about it last week. We are not his doctor. We are not doctors in general. We are, frankly, idiots. 
I wish him the best of recovery. I don't know how long he's been playing with that. We don't know anything. We really can't even speculate, and I refuse to. So No, uh, we, we, we can't speculate. It's irresponsible to speculate. But there are a couple of, to me, undeniable facts. The New York Rangers never felt like they were putting Henrik Lundqvist at risk. Henrik Lundqvist never felt like he was putting himself at risk. It doesn't – I don't give a shit. I don't want to hear anyone talk about anything regarding the cap or long-term IR. It's irrelevant. All of that stuff doesn't matter. This isn't something – if the Rangers – you don't need me to sit here and tell you the Rangers wouldn't have bought him out if, there, if he was physically ill and couldn't play hockey anymore. The reason why Henrik Lundqvist wanted the buyout is because Henrik Lundqvist felt healthy enough and felt like he could still had something to offer playing hockey in the National Hockey League. Had he not felt that way, he wouldn't have needed a buyout. The Rangers would have had a medical excuse. So whatever happened, it's, it's tragic. We're praying for Hank. We wish him nothing but good health. Again, as I've said with a, regards to so many players on this podcast, I'm at a point with Hank where I just want him to be able to be a good father, be a good family man, and live his life post-hockey however he sees fit. Um, open heart surgery, I don't care how far along in medicine, medicine we've gone as a society, is a monumental risk, and it's, it's, it's intimidating and scary. So nothing but love and respect for Henrik Lundqvist as he goes through this truly difficult process. But this, the Rangers wouldn't have put someone like Henrik Lundqvist at risk. And Henrik Lundqvist wouldn't have put himself at risk had this been a more serious issue during his time with the New York Rangers. Whatever it is, it's tragic. How, whenever it became the, what it is now, it's unfortunate. But just fuck out of here if you want to look at this as like a business decision. There's nothing business about this. This is just a man who wants to be healthy. That That's all you need to worry about. Agreed with you uh, entirely. I wish him the best of, uh, of luck recovering from clearly uh, what would be a no, I don't want to say dangerous surgery, but a, a, a very complicated. It's very serious. Yeah, it's, it's very, very serious. serious. Anytime oh, it's open heart surgery. We're not talking about some guy fixing a Tommy John surgery or getting his ACL repaired. There's, yeah. there's two organs you really need in order to, <laughs> you know, live as yep. a human being. Yeah. Big ones. Open heart surgery. That shit is, again, it, it 99.99% of the time, it's not a problem, but you know, it's a risk anytime you thing? do it. Absolutely. We're not doctors and we're idiots. Uh, yep. What you were ref- referring to when you said I, I'm a sad boy, we're, we, as you may listen to the show, sometimes we talk about the sport baseball. Gregor's a Mets what? fan. I am what? a Rays fan. And uh, la- when you last heard about my Rays fandom, they pulled a star pitcher uh, in game six of the World Series and they considered to lose. It was a miserable feeling for me. And uh, now they've traded him, which we will be going over that at the end of the show. One more. I, see, th- I, I appreciate you being loose with the term star, but we'll talk about that later. <laughs> Jesus Christ. All right. Um. <laughs> it's killing me. Uh, I One thing else I want to talk about with the Rangers, um, before we get to some five-star questions, we do have a great interview with Mike Kelly today. He's from the NHL Network, and he's also an analyst for analytics. Analytics? He's an analytics al- analyst. There you go. Uh, and he we go really in-depth into the East and uh, what he thinks about the Rangers moving forward. We talked about the world, uh, the world junior the world juniors a couple times and how we really don't mm-hmm. care. And we've gotten scalded for it. We've gotten people saying mean things, but the reason no, why the care. Rangers shouldn't send good prospects like Lafreniere over there is because not only did the, the Blackhawks lose Kirby doc, um, they've Lucas Raymond has now had awkwardly got injured. Listen, you shouldn't send your top prospects who you dress drafted in the top 10 in the NHL over to the, the world juniors. I know how much it means to these players. I understand the significance for it, but 
they're going to play in the NHL this year. To lose five months of an NHL time and uh, of development is that's it's reckless. It's 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 not good, quote unquote, asset management. I understand you're you're managing emotional people who have ties to their country, but there, I, if Lafreniere went over there and got injured, I can't even tell you the rage we would have on this podcast. It'd be un- well, unlimited. Uh, Ray- Raymond wasn't going to play in the NHL this year. I, I, I'm less upset about Lucas Raymond getting hurt. It, look, it's unfortunate if anyone gets hurt in this tournament, for sure. Right. And we should also talk about the fact that Braden Schneider got suspended for what is classified as an incredibly dirty hit in the Canada-Germany game. Um, Ray- Raymond, you don't ever want to see a prospect go down with an injury, but at least he wasn't ticketed for a significant NHL time this year. Allowing Kirby Doc to play in this World Juniors is just, just straight up irresponsible. I- I'm tired of people saying, well, you know, what, what else do you want? It's, it's good for their development. Is it good for their development? It's, dude, he got hurt in, in, in all an, honesty. He got hurt in an exhibition right. game, my man. Exhibition. I, I get that something technically is on the line, but it's also not really technically on the line. We're not talking about the Olympics. We're not talking about an event that happens once every four years. You're talking about a prospect tournament. This would be like us getting worked up about the Futures game during All-Star Weekend. For baseball. People really care like, about I, it. And I, I get it. And there's legit coverage. And can, it's Canada's game. Like, they fucking love it. They go crazy for it. Especially Kirby Doc. I, I it wanna, really means a lot to I him. Wanna poke, I want to poke holes in this whole it's good for development bullshit. Is it? Is it? Was it good for Kirby Doc to play in a 12-2 game against, <laughs> no. what was it, 16-2 against Germany? Is that truly good for his development? Yeah, when Canada plays the U.S., it's a competitive game. When Canada plays Russia, it's a competitive game. Teams like Finland and Slovakia and Sweden, they're on the up and up. Those those provide some competitive games. But is it really important for a team like fucking Germany to get their shit pumped? Like, is Tim Stutzel a better prospect because he has to play 40 minutes a night just to keep Germany no, somewhat dude. respectable in this no. tournament? What what are we just saying? Are we blindly saying this tournament is good for development because it's just six more games? that young prospects get to play. This is an all-star game. It that That's all it is. It's an, it's an all-star game with a trophy at the end that some people take very seriously. And if that's what you want to do, baby, go, go do you. It's 2020. Whatever you need to do to get through the holidays, I'm here to support it as long as you're doing it socially distant and responsibly. I don't care. It's your life. I don't need you to like everything I like, and you don't need me to like everything you like. But <laughs> just catch me outside with this bullshit that is good for development. I, this these is, kids are 18. I, I think we the, should. The, this tournament has no bearing on what these players are going to be in four years and five years. All we know is that Kirby Doc, who is going to get top nine minutes for the Chicago Blackhawks this year, might miss the entire season now. And you're going to tell me that it was worth him playing six possible games against literal teenagers, some of which barely know how to skate in one direction? Get out of here with that. That's just irresponsible. That's all it is. Irresponsible. It is. Absolutely. It's. It's a situation where it's like, well, you're going to miss five months of your NHL rookie development time. Like, did that matter to Kako? Yeah, it actually, just despite him struggling, like, it shows him, like, hey, I got to be way better to play <laughs> this league. Like, to I'm 18 years old. I have to do all these things to get, get it done. Doc could have learned all that, but instead he's going to ride the pine because he played in World Jeff, a, a meaningless, a totally meaningless game. Um, I think that's really it. Other than Kravstov, absolutely crushing this week. Uh, over in the KHL, a player that we believe will probably be over shortly after the trade deadline. If the Rangers would like him, the KHL, K, what's the KHL has ended. I think that's really all the Ranger news this week. Nothing really else. 
Uh, we'll talk a lot more with Mike. Want to do some five stars? Sure. Here we go. Yeah, it's just it's worth. Go on. Crap. Well, just about craps off. Great week for him. I saw he scored another goal today. Uh, just utter the, the amount of disdain he had on his face for when he scored that Filthy. top shelf back Filthy. Filthy. <laughs> it's just like he's like if anybody else scored that goal, they'd be like, "Did you see the shit I pulled?" And craps. I was like, "You stupid idiots! I have to do this shit to help carry this team to an eighth place finish in Russia." in a year where six teams aren't even fucking playing. And you can just tell like he was just bitter and upset about it. And I loved every second of it because he doesn't want to be in Serbia anymore. That motherfucker wants to be in New York. Um, I, I, the Rangers will find him a home. He absolutely. will not be going to Hartford. He will be playing a top nine role. Look, the Rangers, one of Brett Howden, man rocket or Julian Gauthier is going to have to step up and be a top nine forward for this team for half the year. And if neither of them decide to take over, Look at that. The Rangers have a top nine spot for Vitaly Kravtsov as soon as March. My so man, Buchnevich might get traded at the deadline. That's a true. possibility. Buchnevich is a possibility. Uh, I would say the Rangers could very easily trade Strom yep. in order to open up a spot for someone like Morgan Barron. Mm-hmm. Um, Everyone's the business is open. It is like Mika yeah. Zabinijad, like as much as you love him. And much uh, not you, but I'm talking to the listeners. And as you should oh, love wow. him, I'm famously anti Mika. You're right. No, no, no. I'm not saying that. We're all pro Mika. It's like no one dislikes him. He's incredibly likable and awesome, and he had an amazing year. But I, I do think his name will be out there. I, I don't think I don't that's. Think it will. I don't think it'll be out there. Okay. I, think, I really don't. I think if uh, the right package came, the Rangers would think about it. They really would. I, I have a hard. I don't think the in a year like this year, right. the right package ain't gonna happen. That makes sense. We're. I, you're not. You're, I don't think any team is going to trade a star in a season like this. Maybe in the off season. Maybe maybe around draft time, we're having a difficult Mika Zibanejad discussion. But in a year in which half the league doesn't want to pay players, and the other half of the league feels as though they don't have the cap space to pay who they want to pay in the first place. Like look at everything the Blues did. I it's. Can I tell you, I, I want to go on a quick Mike Hoffman rant before we do. Yeah, go ahead. Because it's, it's ridiculous that they had to sign him to a PTO. I thought about this. I thought about this a lot. Like I don't think it's, I think it's great business by the blues. I think it's genius business by the blues. They're basically telling Mike Hoffman, Hey man, we want to pay you, but we can't. So why don't you do us a favor for two weeks, come to camp, start training with the guys. And by the end of the two weeks, we'll figure out a way to pay you. It, Mike Hoffman's taken all the all the risk. God bless him for doing it. Because if that guy gets injured the second day at camp, you know who's not going to get four and a half million dollars from the St. Louis Blues? Mike fucking Hoffman. If that guy gets one kind of injury that's going to leave him out for two months, the Blues are going to be like, "Well, we tried, didn't we? Good effort. Anyway, see you later." So, God bless Mike Hoffman. I hope he doesn't get hurt in training camp because that dude is literally taking on all the risk. The thing that pissed me off about it, the more I thought about it, is. Mm-hmm. I, I, it's not that I, I don't get upset about cap circumvention. I think everybody should practice cap circumvention. It's called uh, loopholes and great teams find ways to do it. Like the fucking Tampa Bay lightning. They'll always have a partner to bail themselves out because this is the world we That's live what in. happened with Ottawa. Reason. Yeah, whatever. The thing, the thing that pissed me off with Mike Hoffman is that it proved that front offices can get creative and can get sneaky, but they won't fucking do it for offer sheets. Like it just everything once again circled back to offer sheets. Yeah, we'll sign Mike Hoffman to a PTO because we can't pay him now. But as soon as we put Steen and Tarasenko on long term IR, we'll be able to pay him whatever the hell we want. 
So we're just buying ourselves time while also making sure that Mike Hoffman can practice with the team. It's a genius move. I respect the hell out of it. I wish more teams did shit similar to that. The thing that pisses me off is they do shit like that. Super creative shit. But they won't just offer Anthony Sorelli money or Matt Barzal money. That what, what are we doing? Why? 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 It's it's the teams do it because it's just it's not pissing anyone off, right? The Mike Hoffman move doesn't make other teams angry because other teams could have done the exact same thing, which is how they should view offer sheets. And yet they don't. Offer sheets is this forbidden fruit. I just want I don't want offer sheets to exist. I really don't. Just create do baseball. Be baseball. Six-year arbitration system for these players because obviously none of these guys are going to get a fair shake in a restricted free agent market because it's only restricted and it's not a free agency. So it just just, it it makes me sick, Ryan, that it it, these guys prove 30, 31, 32 front offices prove they can be creative if they want to be. So now we just know they're intentionally not, and it just makes me sick. Literally makes me sick. I sit here ill. I'm with you. Uh, all right, let's get to some five-star questions that we'll get over to Mike Kelly interview, and then we'll come back and talk a little bit of baseball. You could turn the podcast off at that point, which is cool. Uh, but Greg and I want to do the, that. So anyway, uh, a little five-stars. Uh, first <clears> one <throat> is one we already answered, so we'll get right out of the way. What are your guys, This is from Roselle7. What are your guys' relationship with the World Juniors? <laughs> do you watch them? Are you interested at all? There you go. Did that already. Uh, I, have, you, have you ever watched a game? I don't think I've watched a game. I, I think the most I, I can say I've watched, I watched the medal ceremony when Leah's Threw a silver medal in. I watched the highlights on Twitter. That's as I don't even watch the highlights. Tradition. Uh, this is from Sean Carlson, eighty-nine. With helmet sponsors coming, who do you think hmm. the Rangers sponsor will be, and why will it be the New York Mets? No, it's Chase. It's Chase. It's, it's Chase. It's, it's Chase, Chase, or it's um, Squarespace. Yeah, it could be both. Who knows? Um, could be. This is a. This is one I. I we might turn into an OT. We'll see. Uh-oh. Uh, DC from Long Island wants us to rank. The goalies in the new Eastern Division, worst to best. I guess we could do it now. I don't, no, I can't do it. I don't. I, I, I couldn't name you one Buffalo Sabres goalie. It's, uh, it's, is Linus Olmark still a thing? Uh, it's Carter Hutton, according to Mr. DC from Long Island. I, I'll have to look. I honestly. Maybe we'll talk about this on, on OTO later this week, talking about ranking different positions in the East. Who knows? Uh, Appreciate it from DC. Uh, this is from uh, Kiggy. I think it's called Kevin from Omaha. In terms of New York sports icons uh, from your OT a couple weeks ago, you guys forgot Keyshawn Johnson. While he uh, his time was limited, did make a splash. He's still recognized from his TV gig. Um, with Hank's health career issues, do you think his career is over? Do you think someone gives him one year 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 deal uh, one year deal in his age forty season? Do you see a fit with Seattle? Maybe bring on an icon to sell tickets and have him be the face of the franchise. Uh, we won't really know until after he fully recovered, right? Yeah, it's a, it's up to Hank. I, it sounds like he'll want from his first Instagram type post. It sounds like he'll want to try, uh, but let's get let him get through surgery first. I'm not going to try to figure anything out. And I don't know. I I know Keyshawn Johnson was a Jet first round draft pick and a very memorable Jet. Very but notable. When I think Keyshawn Johnson, I think Tampa Bay Bucks. I I stopped thinking him as a New York Jet. I still think of him as a Jet sometimes just because he was so big here as a Jet and the TV presence is still there. I know he got that morning radio show on ESPN, but I don't really – I was never inclined to listen to it, so I have no idea. I know he's around. He, he missed he missed those super fun Jet years, though. He did. Like, he didn't, he didn't get those Chad Pennington years that 
some like Dude, like he didn't get the Santana Moss treatment. Talk talk shit what you will about Mark Sanchez. Those are the funnest Jets teams of the last thirty years, by far. The Chad Penny the Chad Pennington teams were fun for a little bit. They were that year. They had four first round draft picks. That was a fun year. That was a good one. Jets, who knew? They're unbelievable. <laughs> it's okay. just can't get out of their own damn way. You could lose I the last two I games. Respect the play, I respect the players for wanting to play out the string and all that. And, Agreed. and the players saying, what, do you want us to play to lose? No, it's not that we want you to. Jet fans didn't want you to lose the first 13 games of the year. Like, you're not <laughs> you're, you're miss, you're, you're not reading the room correctly. Yeah. Jet fans would have been thrilled if you started the year 8-5. and five. You're not... I don't think a single Jet fan would have complained about it. No Jet fan was like, no Jet fan really started the season wanting Trevor Lawrence. The Jet Jet fans thought the team could be interesting. And then you lost 13 straight. You get to a point where people are like, all right, fuck it. Just lose all of them so we can start over. And then you decide to win two games. That's a little <laughs> fucked up. I don't know what to tell you. Like, I'm not going to sit here and say that's, that's showing grit and heart. No. Most of you are going to be gone. Now you're just kind of being a dick is what you're really being. Yeah, a little bit. I, like a little yeah, bit. You, don't, you, don't get a, you don't get to say, Dude, that was I a... love Mekhi Becton. That guy's going to be great for a very long time. Don't say true football fans never want their team to lose. They didn't want to lose the first 13 games, motherfucker. You guys did that. But once you lose the first 13 games, there is no point in winning a single one and game. The, you might the, as well lose the last And the Jaguars three. knew, buddy. And the, uh, the NFL doesn't care because it makes money hand over fist. But I got to tell Can you, I just, having a star prospect and go from the possibility of New York to Jacksonville, not the best. I don't know. I, I, I'm going to present two options. You tell me which one makes you more sick. Okay. Every year I run a survivor and pick them pool for people. And some, some of the listeners are actually in that pool. Shout out Dan LaRose, my guy. This year in Survivor, I lost in week one. Because I picked the Colts over the Jaguars. And the Jaguars fucking won. And they've lost 14 games straight <laughs> since then. That's the what I lose week one because of the Jaguars. But is that worse than our good friend Joe Sansone? Big Jet fan. One of the biggest Jet fans we know in our lives. He was one of the final two people left in the survivor pool. He lost this week because he picked the Browns. No. So the Jets, not only did the Jets fuck our friend Joe out of Trevor Lawrence, yeah. they literally took about $2,000 away. From that him. feels pretty bad. I, I'm going to go with Joe on that. I don't feel bad for you. I'm sorry. Yeah, mine is just kind of comical. It's just like I lost week I kind one. Of expect what, I expect that from you. Yeah. It's not I, really. I lose week one. No big deal. I expect, I, I bet so often against the Colts because of week one. I just hold the grudge. <laughs> but the fact that the Jags have lost 14 straight from that week one win, it, you know what? I don't know what I was expecting. I should have. I should have anticipated that. Uh, all right. A couple more questions here. Uh, I'm see if I can get one at least. Fantastic job of the place. This is from Kako Praise B24. This is Chris from Florida, our frequent commenter. For my birthday in November, a friend of mine got a certified graded nine Kako Praise B rookie card. Congratulations. With uh, Rangers getting Lafreniere, I decided to try my luck with hockey card packs and started collecting hockey card collection. I was lucky enough to get a Lafreniere rookie card after searching many cards and packs. Congratulations. My question is, have you either collected hockey cards or any sports cards? If so, are there any cards you're proud of or super rare, as well as any stories you want to share about card collecting? Keep up the great work. Let's go Rangers, Chris from Florida. Uh, I, I was an avid baseball basketball card collector growing up in fact i still have them and i'm saying that right now because i'm desperately trying to sell them and if you <laughs> want some i i am currently staring at a uh nine card nine card page of the vancouver grizzlies and at least six of the cards i'm looking at are brian big country reeves and if someone <laughs> wants to send me money for some brian big country reeves cards by all means uh i don't 
there's not a card I especially love. I loved collecting cards when I was little. It was great. Anytime I would visit my grandma, she would take me to this little baseball card, comic book type store. And she would some, for some reason, find joy in watching my reaction. Every time I pulled out a card, if it was a Met, um, she's a weird woman. She apparently really loved seeing me happy. Uh, crazy. I don't, I don't understand it. people. Does it like make sense? That. Yeah. I, I, but there, I, I now hold zero emotional connection to any of the cards I own. I am looking to sell them though. So if anyone wants some mid nineties, early two thousands, baseball and basketball cards, by all means, hit me up. I have a card collecting story. I'm going to make it actually a little fun for you, Greg. Uh, I don't oh collect sports cards. I am a fucking nerd. So I'm I know you love magic. Giant Magic the Gathering guy. Uh, traveled and played on, on GP's Grand Prix, in case you were wondering. Uh, very mm-hmm. ner- very nerdy. Uh, but when I went off to college like a real man and stopped, I, I quit magic for, uh, you know, to get educated and stuff like that. I left my very valuable, extremely valuable collections in my room. Now, my mother one oh. day. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. My mother one day um, took out one of my uh, drawers and forgot to put it back and in that I had a box a cardboard box full of very valuable cards some cards that are now worth over $400 a pop Greg that's right mm. they're called dual lands and they're now worth over $400 a pop my cats decided that was a litter box and when I came home from college my cards were crystallized in cat piss mm. I had to throw them out and I'm still upset about it and salty to these days on that note let's transition to an interview with NHL Network's Mike Kelly um, if you want to leave a five-star question for us, feel free. Go to iTunes, leave a five-star review. We'll read them next week on the show. Uh, let's get over to Mike Kelly, shall we? Transition. Hey, we're back with our first guest of the day. He's Mike Kelly. He's a hockey analyst for the NHL Network. He's also part of Sports Logic and something called, called Point Hockey. Michael, thank you so much. Michael or Mike? Which which one do you prefer? Oh, it's it's usually Michael when uh, somebody's mad at me. Um, mm. You know, like if my, if my mom gets mad at me for something. Follow-up question. Where are the Rangers out, but... finishing in the East? And then I'll decide. <laughs> <laughs> You're probably going to call me Michael, I guess. Yeah, I think I will. Uh, I Let's start there. Uh, the, the new divisions are out, right? Uh, what is the NHL network and what is Mike Kelly predicting of, the, of what we or we are calling the pit of despair? division that is the east yeah it's a tough one it's um uh, there's a lot of good teams in that division but um you know for me i just look at teams that i i think all things being equal and again this is a season where we're really maybe you know maybe nothing will be equal because it's going to be so bizarre um you know boston to me is is uh still ahead of new york i would put the islanders ahead of new york i would put pittsburgh and washington ahead of new york I, i'm not you know, married to Philadelphia being, I, I think Philly probably won't be as good as last year. And I think the Rangers could be better than last year. So maybe that gap closes enough. Um, but then that's where I kind of see the Rangers fitting in. Uh, it'd, be, it'd be hard to believe, though, that they could uh, get ahead of teams like Pittsburgh, Washington uh, and Boston. I couldn't, we actually as a team could not agree with you more. One thing that I, I think is pretty interesting, especially when it comes to Washington, obviously you've heard about the tragic new, news with Henrik Lundqvist uh, recently uh, just announced that he's going under open heart surgery. Do you see uh, uh, the Washington Capitals sort of having a goaltending deficit this upcoming season? Does that really affect them or hurt them at all in this brutal Eastern division? Well, we'll see what happens, right? I think Craig, Craig Anderson's going there on a PTO. Um, you know, Ilya Samsonov, the, the the Russian goaltender there, is legit by all accounts. I mean, I, I don't 
see any reason why he can't come in and, and be a significant contributor. But you look at the the way that the season's going to be this year with the condensed schedule, uh, about four months of hockey, you've got 56 games. Um, it, it, even if it's not so much back-to-back games, it's just the constant rigor of, of uh, how many games you're playing in such a short period of time that you wonder if having multiple goalies, a platoon system will benefit some teams, two guys that you know can play. There's a question mark, obviously, in Washington now with Lundqvist uh, not able to play there this season. So, but I, I think the world of uh, of, of Simsonov. So, um, I, I'm not prepared to say that that'll be a weak spot for Washington yet. Mike, we've spent so much time the last couple of weeks focusing on how awful this division sets up for the New York Rangers. <laughs> so let's. I'm attempting to turn this on its head, and it doesn't necessarily have to be Ranger related. Is there a team you think directly benefits from a condensed 56-game schedule that might be able to thrive in the mayhem? Oh, that's a, that's a good question. Um, like I said, I think teams that have two competent goalies will, will likely benefit. Um, you know, you can look to uh, Dallas last season with the, the play they got from Ben Bishop and Anton Hudobin. Now, they're also a really good defensive team, so you throw that into the mix. Uh, I think that'll be helpful. One team in particular that could benefit from the condensed schedule. Um, that's a tough one. You know, I, I, you could have all sorts of theories, you know, maybe young, young guys uh, being fresher. You know, I don't know that that holds any water over the course of a season though. Um, so I, you know, I, it's not like there's one that jumps out at me. If that can at least answer your question is like, wow, this is really going to benefit this team. We've kind of made the the pitch and the account that this benefits the Rangers in the long run. One of the reasons you're actually on this podcast today is because I saw you on NHL Network talking about how the Rangers are cup contenders and could possibly win a cup before 2025. And while I agree with you, the reason why we think this season is so beneficial is because you have to know if you're a real team or not if you're in this Eastern Pit of Despair division. Do you feel like over time this is a good test for a young team like the Rangers that could prepare them for the what is legitimately the opening of the window at the end of this weird COVID season? Well, yeah, I can do nothing but help. Um, and, and, you know, qualify that. I'm saying cup contenders in the near future, not this year <laughs> exactly. But we agree. Um, yeah, but, you know, you're you're going to be playing against, you just think about the caliber of players they're going to be going up against, whether it's, you know, Ovechkin, Kuznetsov, Backstrom, you know, Giroux, Voracek, um, the Islanders are, are such a good defensive team and the Rangers were such a poor one last year. Um, play them enough time, see if you can, you know, have a little bit of that rub off against you. Uh, Boston, you know, arguably that one of the top leadership groups in the league, just guys that know how to win and know what it takes. Um, so there, there's a lot that you can, you know, draw on for inspiration of what it takes to be successful in the league night in and night out and in a grueling schedule like this. I mean, Washington's won a cup. Pittsburgh's won a cup. Boston's won a cup all, you know, relatively recently um, and core players still there from those teams. So they, uh, that's kind of all staring the Rangers in the face as to you know, what it takes. But, you know, one, one of the things I talked about in the segment as well and why I think the Rangers have a have a real chance in a short period of time. When I talk about time, I mean, a couple of years um, to be a, a real contender in the Eastern Conference because they have such good young pieces right now. They've got good prospects coming and, you know, I don't know how long we have, but I could go on forever about the goaltending they have. As long as you want, honestly, <laughs> we work from home. Well, look, 
Yeah, I mean, you guys watch the Rangers a ton, right? You, this is what you do. This is our live um, partially. Yeah, exactly. So you know all about Shesterkin, and I'm sure you were you were waiting for him to get here, and you heard a lot about him before he got to, to the NHL, and he comes in. Uh, not a huge sample so far, but played really, really well overall in the amount of games he had last season. Alex Georgiev, um, I'm I'm high on this guy. Like I, I, his name was bandied about a little bit in trade talks, um, you know, last year I think early in the season, and, and I, I remember seeing some people saying like, "Wow, the Rangers wouldn't give him up to get that guy or that guy." Like it's not like this guy's the second coming of some, you know, elite goalie. He's really good. Um, he has been in his NHL career to this point again on a pretty poor defensive team that's played in front of him. Like Georgiev and Shesterkin face a ton of quality shots every game, and they both perform uh, exceptionally well. So uh, you start with those two guys in, in the net. Um, you know, I think they're each 24 years old. What a great foundation to build on. And then, of course, you get into the, the Kako and the Lafreniere and um, you know, Keandre Miller and, and all these guys that are, you know, Kravtsov, all these guys that are here are coming. Uh, and then, of course, the key pieces, Zibanejad, Panarin, um, you know, Strom, etc. So it's it kind of reminds me in the way that they're building a little bit of Colorado and and kind of where they're at now of where this team could be in a few years. Well, Mike, you said the magic name, uh, especially on this podcast, that'd be Capocaco. A lot of what the Rangers want to do this season is going to fall in the laps of two teenagers, and one of them is coming off historically one of the worst rookie seasons for any top five draft pick we've seen maybe in league history. But this year, we're thinking a top six role for him somewhat consistently. We're thinking time with either one of Mika Zibanejad or Temi Panarin. I know you just recently did your point projections for the teams across the league. How do you see Kapokako's sophomore season going? Uh, it should be a little bit better. Like, I think, you know, I'm not going to profess to be a, a prospect's expert um there's people that i lean on in the hockey world who are actually in the junior rinks um all the time and uh i've got the data and video like like a lot of other people but um i lean on them you know for for these guys before they get to the nhl and i think the kind of the consensus was that he was nhl ready you know before last season right maybe the most of anybody in that draft and didn't uh i guess live up to expectations in terms of his production so you know, I've run my statistical model um, factors a lot of things into not only what a player has achieved, but also kind of the underlying metrics of um, scoring chance generation, et cetera, what we believe that player should achieve, um, put that into a model and, and forecast uh, what we believe that player will achieve. And, and for Capo Caco in a 56 game season this year, I've got him at about 21 and a half points. So uh, it'd be a, around last year, a little bit of a bump up, but of course it, it can depend on who he plays with. Um, so you, we'll, we'll see how that goes, I guess, at the start of the season. But, uh, if there's any Rangers fans listening that are, are thinking about writing this guy off and the same thing would apply for the, the devil's fans, uh, probably don't listen, I guess. They do not. Devil's fan. <laughs> um, but with Zach Hughes, you know, it, these guys are, are terrific hockey players. One season does not define a career. Um, man, I, I think back, not to compare, you know, the guys we're talking about, but I think back to Joe Thornton's rookie year. Go look at the first 25, 30 games of his rookie year. Um, 
guy's a Hall of Famer. So there's a lot of hockey in front of Capo Caco, and, and he's got a, a lot of great tools. So, um, you know, I, I, I think he, he'll be just fine in New York. Well, yes, I, I'm uh, hoping and praying if that Capococco himself uh, can redeem himself from what is statistically and I guess analytically one of the worst first rookie seasons uh, in uh, history, seemingly. Uh, but Lafreniere, where do you see him falling on this team? Because this team is loaded at left wing. He obviously is number one <laughs> overall draft pick uh, and uh, everyone has really high expectations for him. But they all uh, Ranger fans also know like, hey, we thought Kako was coming in, coming in NHL ready. Is Lafreniere actually NHL ready? Yes, we're assuming. Yeah, well, these are very different players. Um, you know, Lafreniere is uh, clear-cut number one draft pick in his year. Um, had he been in the draft last year, I mean, uh, not at the age he is, obviously, but if you just want to make that comparison, I'm sure he goes ahead of Jack Hughes also and would, would have been number one there also. So, um, you know, Lafreniere, you look at his you know World Junior Tournament, what he did in junior, um, he, he is dynamic as a playmaker, as a goal scorer um should should jump right into a top six role and be productive like the left side like you talk about a lot of talent there with this team very much um Panarin Kreider Lafreniere so you put him in the middle six uh you can put him on a third line put him on a second line have him play in the middle six he's going to be playing with a good center no matter what uh in in those spots uh he is a guy that I would be shocked if he didn't come in and and you know provide a decent amount of offense for this team and um but again different different type of player than capo caco uh what a luxury though to have both of these young guys kind of around the uh the guys already in the lineup who are proven producers we've touched on a lot of the big names obviously it's it's kind of hard to talk about the rangers without talking about the big names but is there a under the radar guy you have your eyes on going into this season some guy that maybe we're not giving enough shine to before puck drop um I'm not sure, you know, I'm not sure what kind of shine you've been putting on guys, but um, I think, you know, this isn't going to be someone you haven't talked about, obviously, but I I'm not sure Adam Fox still got enough recognition for how good he was last year um, and how good of a defenseman he is. So, you know, for me, he, he would have been uh, a Calder finalist in my book. Again, he'll get better. He's young. He's uh, he's a ton of fun to watch. So I'm looking forward to watching him. Um, you know, Philip Heedle's another guy that, again, a very young player. Was 22, 21 years old. Yeah, 21. Um, 21 years old. So he's going into his third full season in the league, and um, he was bumped up kind of 10, 11 goals around 15 last year. Um, if what if he's playing? on a line with Lafreniere uh, or, or however it slots now that you just have, you know, more guys that can be impact players in your forward group. Um, if his quality of line mate goes up, uh, he's got a, a lot of great skill and talent. So he, he's another guy that I think you could potentially see a, a decent bump in point production this year. I think this next question for me is a little bit unfair, but the thing that I, I noticed about when you were talking about the Rangers becoming cup contenders in the next couple of years. And I, I agree with you that the Rangers have the talent and the youth and the farm system and, and maybe even the coaching in place. And maybe we'll get to David Quinn, but eventually these other teams also sort of have to age out. How many more years do you see the, you know, the capitals and the penguins sort of being uh, powerhouses in, in the Metro, if the Metro reforms, like it, it was uh, previously in the, in the, in the coming years. Yeah. Well, 
they're getting older. Obviously, they're core pieces. Um, I, I'd throw Boston into that mix for the East. If you want to talk about the Metro, you leave them out. But, um, you know, I, I never – you know, how many people are talking about Evgeny Malkin going into this season? Almost nobody. Almost nobody. We, we, we talk about him in terms of people aren't talking about him, and we have to remind them that he's still Evgeny Malkin. Yeah. So, I mean, he missed some time last year, but go look at where he finished in terms of points per game. Um, he was, well, was it fifth, sixth, somewhere around there. Um, I've got him projected this year finishing fourth in league scoring, assuming again, you play a, a, a fully healthy season like anybody else. Um, he's not going anywhere. Sidney Crosby's not going anywhere. Not right now. But if you look at the Rangers and, you know, we'll, we'll just pick a nice number, say three years down the road, say, you know, this year is going to be whatever it is. It's a total gong show and trying to forecast anything is, is almost pointless. Mm-hmm. Uh, go to next year. You know, maybe they can get into the playoffs next year. Go the year after that. Uh, maybe they have a lesson or two. Um, and then you're kind of getting into, okay, if we're continuing to see progress. And, and, I mean, think about when the letter went out about the rebuild and where the team is now. It's kind of been a, on fast forward just because of, of pieces that have come in and, and talent that exists. Um, it, it could be three years before this team's ready to make a little bit of noise in the playoffs. And um, so, you know, that would kind of coincide, which is a good point you bring up with Pittsburgh, Washington starting to kind of age out a little bit in terms of their core superstar players. So in that sense, that's where you could potentially start to see a bit of a flip-flop in the division as, as the Rangers are an obvious team on the rise. I, you know, I would see the Islanders facing some cap issues, obviously. No one faces cap issues in this league. Let's not, let's not kid ourselves here, Mike. Everyone finds ways around it. It's, uh, we've been very angry about the Tampa Bay Lightning and other squads on this uh, here podcast recently. But I even see the Islanders facing some of that in the coming years after they do sign Barzal, whenever that is, even though it should have been three months ago. And um, having some of those contracts come back to bite them. I, I, I do think the Rangers will be in a great position once all this dead caps comes off this, comes off finally the $13 million. Um, and they have the ability to spend. They have all the young talent, more ELCs than pretty much the whole East combined. And they're off and running. So that's why I kind of asked about the, the Washington-Pittsburgh thing because I do feel like their reign is almost over. It's like, is it this year? No. Is it next year? No. But those players, you can't... Father time catches everybody, Mike. Absolutely everybody. And the, the Rangers are one of the youngest team, if not the youngest team in the league. Yep. And so it's a great point you bring up. And again, I, I'm just always cautious about guy, like the type of guys we're talking about, the Malkins and the Crosbys and the Ovechkins, the Backstrom. I mean... Why can't Nick Backstrom play the way he plays for at least five more years? Um, Malkin, like look at Ovechkin. I'm going to go back a few years ago. You look at Ovechkin. I think he had 33 goals in a full season. And people started to ask questions about, well, he plays such a physical brand and he's, you know, north of 30 now. And he's, are we finally starting to see him slow down? Well, he's ripped off 50 goal year, 50 goal year since then. Um, you know, Crosby, if you go back to, um, 2016 you're at a slow start to the season again he's around 30 years old and people wondering if the concussions caught up to him or he lost a step and then he just goes out and wins everything so yeah father time catches up to everybody and we're, we're a few more years down the road um but if you're you know going to say to me right now that in three years ov crosby Malik, and these guys can't still be significant contributors i wouldn't bet on, i wouldn't bet against them I'll say that much. I wouldn't say that. I, I just, just think the farm and the players around them just won't be there. We just need something to believe in. That's really all it comes down I'm trying. to. Hey, look, if the Rangers 
figure out how to play defense. I, I don't see any reason why they can't be a playoff team right now. Oh, uh, his yeah. name is Jack Johnson, and that's why they can't be a playoff team right now. <laughs> <laughs> Come on. How many games Jack Johnson played for the Rangers? Zero. Uh, yeah, I, I've seen enough Mark Stahl to know what I'm getting. And now, I would have rather just had Mark Stahl. We now live in, Mike, we now live in a world. It's, 20, it's December 28th, 2020. I haven't seen a hockey game in four months that involved the New York Rangers of consequence. And I'm sitting here telling you straight-faced that I actually kind of miss Mark Stahl when, in, when we're talking about the alternative here. That's, that's where we're at. Man, we need hockey back in the worst way. Soon. I was, I was, my next question was actually going to be, you're an analyst for NHL Network. Yeah. Uh, how have you been? It's been a very long winter. How you hanging in? Doing okay. I mean, you got to think about this too, right? Like hockey, why did, why did I get into hockey? Why would anybody get into this? Why do you guys do the podcast? It's not, you know, to maximize your earning potential in life. It's because it's a passion that we all have and it's what we love to do. Um, that's why I got into the sport and covering the sport and doing what I do. There hasn't been any hockey in a while. It's been a weird, weird year. So, you know, in some senses, yeah, it's, it's, it's a bit strange. You wake up and you're like, eh, it's no games again. Um, th there's a ton of work you can do around it. I mean, I've, I've spent, one of the things I love most about my job is, is being able to spend time doing research and, you know, what do good teams do to win and then what the poor teams, you know, consistently do that causes them to lose and how do I understand every player as much as I can and stuff probably sounds boring to a lot of people, but um, I, I thoroughly enjoy it. So, I, so I've had a lot of time to do that. I actually find that interesting. Cool. And I want to do a follow-up here because when the Rangers drafted notable player from the World Junior Cla uh, Cup this this uh, weekend, Braden Schneider, they talked about how he was like a big body, gritty player. And one of the things that JD said about him was, if you look at teams that are in the playoffs right now, they have a lot of players like that, like Braden Schneider. Like, what do teams do to win? Like, what have you discovered? Is is it the big body gritty players? Is it just the high skill? Is it just having undeniable forces on your team, like Sidney Crosby, like uh, like Ovechkin? What is it that finally says, hey, this is a winning team? So I had a roundtable discussion about a month and a half ago with a group of, of five or six NHL coaches. And I presented some data on... Uh, some work that I've done looking at the last three years, teams that get into the playoffs, teams that get into the final four, teams that win a Stanley Cup. What are the commonalities, right? What can we learn from this? And it was great because I presented my information and what I believed um, from the data that I use. And then I got to hear all of these people talk about it. And, and these are coaches that have won Stanley Cups, won Olympics, um, very, very successful, the best at what they do. And the short answer is that there's not a short answer. There's not a simple answer. It's not, oh, this is the recipe. Now, you know, go throw it in the oven and poof, here's your Stanley Cup championship team. What I will say is you need a blend. There are teams that I believe um, have gone too far in terms of one dimensional where they kind of hang on, okay, this is how we want to play. This is what we want to be, that identity. But it's so one dimensional that they can't beat you in different ways. And as great as any, you know, identity can be, whether you want to be a puck possession team or a heavy team or a defensive team or an offensive team, no matter how great it is, the second that an opponent figures out how to neutralize you in that way, you have no backup plan. And what I see in looking at teams that won Stanley Cups recently, Tampa Bay, 
and St. Louis and even Washington the year before that is that they can beat you in different ways. You have to have the requisite skill to be able to, to get that far, right? And every year there's five, six, seven, eight teams that have the skill to get that far and win a Stanley Cup. What is it that you're doing, though, to be able to adjust to what your opponents are going to throw at you? And Tampa Bay, I think, they learned that lesson um, in two ways. They learned that they had to be a little nastier and a little heavier, and they go out and they get guys like Blake Coleman and Barkley Goudreau, um, Zach Bogosian, whoever, guys that can play a, a different style of hockey. But they also got the buy-in from their skilled players to play that way, to dump pucks in, to go and get them back, to set up a cycle, to create offense in different ways. That was huge for them. Not just It's not as simple as, oh, we had to get a little heavier, so we got these guys and poof, we won. They got buy-in from everybody. Um, St. Louis could cut, cut you up in a whole bunch of different ways. They had great skill, but uh, great puck-moving defenseman, great cycle game, possession game in the offensive zone. So that's kind of how I look at it. In terms of regular season to playoffs, they are different. Um, teams dump the puck in more in the playoffs year over year. Space goes away uh, that was, that's there in the regular season that's not in the playoffs, especially as you go on. Puck battles increase in the playoffs. Things that you would intuitively think of, but okay, now we can measure it, and now we can figure out where you're doing it, where you're not, if you can do it well enough if, or if you can't. Um, so these are all the kind of things we were talking about. Which it was a fascinating conversation to me. Why do, you think, why do you think a team like the Lightning, who are gangbangers in the regular season, nothing gets in their way, is it – why would they – allow themselves to change for their opponents why don't why why wouldn't they just play the fast style they would play during the regular season in a seven game series is it is it simply to adjust to the opponent or do you think there's a conservative approach to the game that is just inherent in the playoffs well it's not so much adjusting to the opponent as it is to to um being able to read and react i guess like I'll, like the example I'll give you is Vegas. Um, why, you know, why did Dallas dispatch of Vegas in, in five games this year? Well, Vegas, you know, they have a, a very specific forecheck. They have a very specific um, kind of way of, of creating offense, of getting pucks back. Um, and they have the talent and, and a good structure and, and a good system in place to beat most teams on most nights. You get into a, a seven-game playoff series against a team. Well, Dallas is built uh, in a pretty specific way. They're, they're kind of heavy enough and, and they're skilled enough. Um, good defensemen that like to jump into the rush. They're a great defensive team with good goaltending. So, you know, I watch Vegas kind of forecheck in that same way, but Dallas would, you know, rim pucks out and out of the zone you go. No harm, really, no foul. Um, there wasn't a lot of adjustments that I saw from that team that I think believe they could probably just continue to play the way that has been so successful for them. And they're good enough that it should work out. Well, it doesn't always happen that way. So, you know, Tampa Bay, yeah. How many times do you hear coaches and players talk about how the playoffs are almost like a different sport? It's a different game. Well, there's what go, then you think about what goes into that. Why is it different? And if it is different, how do we react to that? Like Tampa Bay, when they lost to Columbus, now, they missed Kucherov um, for a suspension. I believe Hedman missed a couple of games. He was injured. Um, but Columbus so probably surprised some people in that season. 
They scored more goals off the rush than any other team in the NHL. They were an elite defensive team that would counter-strike and, and could score by counter-striking. And they did a lot of that against Tampa Bay. Uh, and that gave Tampa Bay a lot of problems. So over the course of a regular season, yeah, Tampa could roll through teams, win 60 games. They're so skilled on any given night, um, they could and should win a hockey game. But a seven-game series against one specific opponent that has their own strengths and weaknesses um, is very different. I hate to pull an NHL network here, but is that uh, when I when I say what about the Leafs? But are the Leafs are are they a team that can't really, you know, adjust? Is that one of the reasons why they've struggled in the playoffs? Like where are these other good teams adjust? They have the top, the really hot, top heavy offensive firepower, and they just can't play a different style. Is that kind of what you see uh, when it comes to a Toronto Maple Leafs, a heavy star studded team? Well, I did a segment on the NHL Network a couple of years, well, I guess about a year and a half ago now, before the season, two seasons ago, if that makes sense, because we're all topsy-turvy we in are. the world. But it was right after they made the Nazem Kadri trade for Tyson Berry. And, you know, I, I understand the, the reasons why they made the trade, cap reasons, et cetera. But at the same time, I said, Losing Nazem Kadri is the exact type of player that they don't have enough of. And getting Tyson Berry is the exact type of player that they don't need. Uh, it didn't make a lot of sense for me in that, in that respect. The, the Maple Leafs very publicly have, have said, you know, they are, they are putting an emphasis on skill. They are putting an emphasis on puck possession. Uh, that's the way they want to play. They want to have the puck. When they don't have it, they want to get it back. Um, you watch the way that they play in the offensive zone, the way they cycle their forwards and D around, forwards high, D low. They want to play a heavy possession game. That's all good and well. Um, and it wouldn't, you know, won't surprise you guys to hear that the Maple Leafs by far led all teams in the NHL in puck possession per game this past season. They had it on their stick the most in the offensive zone, in the defensive, the neutral, and overall. Um, about a minute and a half more per game than St. Louis, who was second. That doesn't mean you're you're going to to win necessarily because they you know they gave up a lot of kind of high quality chances against and Freddie Anderson had a really poor year. Um, I thought Toronto actually got a little better defensively, but their goaltending sunk them. Um, so, you know why don't why don't the Maple Leafs win? It, it's there's more there's more to it, um, you know, than just possessing the puck. Like the there's 30 teams in the end, 31 teams in the NHL. You cannot acquire enough skill, high-end skill, to be able to have the puck enough that it makes the other things not matter. Does that make sense? That makes sense. Yeah, I, I'm just curious because, you know, when you talk about winning, it, I'm always, I'm always kind of like, what are the coaches or what are these teams doing to make the adjustments in these long seven-game series? And to, to bring this back, I guess, full circle, I think that's why this season in general, is so important for a lot of different coaches, especially David Quinn of the Rangers, because we haven't really seen David Quinn in a playoff series. We haven't had the opportunity to do that. Well, we have. We did really, though. In Carolina, I mean, it was a three-game absolute uh, slaughter, if I'm being honest. But David Quinn, you're pretty much playing seven different playoff series this season. You're going to play the same team. They played the New Jersey yeah. Devils four times in a row. Like, that's legit going to happen. So it's, it's important to see, like, I, I'm kind of curious to get your take on how are the coaches affecting 
these series moving forward. So like David Quinn, I've, I've seen very little of his decision-making. Is there coaches that you've noticed have really impacted uh, their series with their decisions? You know, is do, do we give coaches enough credit or do we not give them, or should we give them less? Like, where are we at with that, that kind of decision? Well, on a playoff series, to me, it's huge. And the, you know, I, 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 I can't speak, I guess, for situations that I'm not aware of, of what's happened in terms of coaching. Like you can see it, you can look for the adjustments. Right. Um, and I was in the bubble in Edmonton for the playoffs for the first three rounds. So I got to, um, you know, be around that situation and, and, you know, ask these coaches questions after the games and, and be at all the media availabilities and really get a sense for what was going on. Like I thought that Rick Tockett, uh, for example, in Arizona did a really good job um, of, you know, a team that was not as talented as Nashville, but finding a way to beat them. Um, and, and there was a game they played against Colorado in the, in that next series that I thought, uh, they were the better team and they really shouldn't be the better team against Colorado in any game. Um, but that goes to, to again, coaching, like there was a game where they switched Taylor Hall, at, uh, different side on the power play. Um, Phil Housley made an adjustment and worked out and they scored a goal. And th there are all these little, you know, coaching decisions that go into a playoff series that are important. Like I, I'll, I'll mention Barry Trotz as someone who I think is, is one of the best, if not yeah. the best. Um, and you look at what the, what, what he gets out of that Islanders team every year when he took over the Islanders. Uh, I believe they were the worst defensive team in the NHL the year before in terms of goals against. And he turned that ship right around. And it's not like, you know, Niedermeyer and Pronger and their primes joined the team all of a sudden, like they kind of had what they had and he, he put a game plan in place uh, for them to be really successful defensively. You look at Tampa Bay. They changed the way they defended in the neutral zone this past playoffs from the year before. They went to kind of a 1-1-3, uh, bit of a hybrid, but uh, a different neutral zone defensive uh, scheme. And so there are these adjustments that occur. Um, and whether it's a whole playoffs or a playoff series against an opponent or game by game, which are critical as well, uh, you, you do see them. And the ability to make them and make them at the right time can, there's no question it can be difference making, but I, I love the point you bring up about basically seven playoff series all season. It, this is one of the things I'm really looking forward to is watching the Rangers play, like you say, New Jersey, four games in a row. Maybe they go and play Pittsburgh three games in a row. Um, you're going to have all these little mini series where you can react the very next game to this team you just played. Um, and if you lost or you won or you liked something or you didn't, make those adjustments and then you go into your next game and it'll be all season like that. I, I think that's going to be awesome to watch. Agreed. Mike, I, I guess to, to put a cherry on this, what do you think in your opinion is the best possible outcome for the New York Rangers? Do they have to make the playoffs for this year to be successful in your eyes or are there steps this team could take that don't involve any kind of positioning in the standings? Yeah, I mean, look, talk to anyone on the team. They're going to tell you they want to be in the playoffs and they'll be pissed if they're not. And, and I think that's fair. Like, I, I think they're they're talented enough that that should be an expectation. It's not like we're talking about, you know, Detroit or Ottawa here where they're going to say it, but you know it's not going to happen. Uh, the Rangers could get in for sure. But I, I on the outside looking in, um, because this year is going to be such a gong show, if they get in, great. If they don't, I wouldn't be super upset if I was a fan or, or worried. Um, what I'd like to see is a team that we know can score, 
that we know can play fast, good offensive hockey, get better defensively. And they've got great goaltending. That's there too. Um, you know, expected goals against, they were 30th in the NHL last year. Only Chicago was worse in terms of just isolating that team defense separate from the goaltending. I want to see them try to get up to, you know, close to average, you know, 20th maybe. Just make improvements defensively um, without having to sacrifice too much of the offense. There, there's a yin and a yang there. You know, Dallas, as an example, was a great defensive team in the regular season. They knew they had to open up their offensive game a little bit in the playoffs, and they did. And they did give up more in terms of chances and all that. But they found a good balance where they could still win. And for the Rangers, you know, guys are young guys will be going into their second year or their third year now. Um, the play away from the puck, you would hope, will improve a little bit. I think it's a big win if New York can find a little bit better of balance there, um, improve defensively. And then you go into the next season where, God willing, for all of us, we're kind of back to normal. It's 82 again. Um, and you've got some you know, really good things to build off of from this past season. I, I guess my final question, you say 82 again. Is, do you think there's a chance that the NHL likes what they see? Even I know this is all a money game. It's, there's no doubt about it. But maybe, maybe they like what they see and they want to go to like a 70-game, 70 72-game schedule to improve the quality of hockey, make hockey more an exclusive hockey night sort of thing. Or do you see like it's always going to sort of stay 82, especially because of the lost revenue of the last two years? The NHLPA and the NHL would both have to sign off on going to a shorter schedule and it would result in both sides losing money. So if I was a betting man, I would say that will not happen. I'd bet, I'd bet with you if that's the case. As you know, a 70 game season in terms of the product, I think it'd be pretty great. Um, look, I'll take 82. I love covering the game and I'm happy with it. Um, I know what you're saying though. And I'm sure there's fans out there too that are thinking, yeah, you know, 70 would be pretty good. And, um, you know, maybe a, a little bit extra in terms of getting into the playoffs where more teams have a chance um, could be fun. But, yeah, I think the, I think things will kind of go back to normal as soon as the, the, the league can get them there. Agreed. Well, Mike, I can't thank you enough for taking the time out to speak New York, little New York Rangers and little NHL with us. Uh, Want to plug anything you do with uh, all of your coverage? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, what are we doing right now? <laughs> yeah, makes sense, dude. We do this podcast twice a week, and we've done it every day for the last five years. So there you go. <laughs> oh, good for you guys. That's Thanks. awesome. Now yeah. I know where you're getting into the Mark Stahl, Jack Johnson conversations. We're, we're deep down the line. Bro, Jack uh, Johnson's like three weeks of content. What, are you kidding me? I'm <laughs> well, a bit fired up for sure. Um, well, look, no, I'm, uh, I was happy to join you guys. And, uh, yeah, once we get the games going again, we'll, I'll be back uh, with the NHL Network uh, covering them, uh, doing analysis. And um, and you can follow me on Twitter at Mike Kelly NHL. I'm not posting a ton these days, but I'll have uh, point projections out for everybody, every team, uh, all that stuff before the season starts. So, uh, look, I'm pumped to watch the Rangers. I Like I said, I, I love the way this team's going. And uh, they got so many good young players and, um, if I had no allegiance and I didn't work in the sport and I was just going to decide to be a hockey fan this year, they'd probably be in my top five of teams to just be like, Hey, I'm going to watch their games this it's gonna, year. It's going to be a fun couple of years. All you need is one cup. I'm not trying to be Pittsburgh. I don't want three. I just need one. That's all I need, buddy. <laughs> three would be nice. If they win in 2024, you got to invite me down there. Um, to have a, a post cup party with you guys you will be uh there will be a lot of people coming but you will be very high on that list <laughs> uh, mike thanks so much man talk to you soon okay and we're back okay great 
now that we've mm. spoken with Mike Kelly. Uh, if you want to follow me on Twitter, you can follow me at O'Ryan Mead. You can follow Greg at Blue Shirts Break. We'll be talking a little bit of baseball now because I think Greg and I have to get this out. Mm. There is uh, some things that have happened. Uh, we love you, by the way. Go Rangers, etc. Okay, now goodbye. Okay, baseball. There are some things that have happened. I'm not really happy with it. You've you've made your case before we even started this podcast. Maybe the, the, the Snell trade was actually a real haul for the Rays. Okay, I'll hear you out. But and and I have uh, I'm I'm fighting against literal fate here, right? I am because the Rays have they made a bad trade? Like I can't really think of one. If you're trading with the Rays is a death sentence usually, and I don't know why you do it. It doesn't make sense. We talk about it all the time. If uh, if the Rays call you about a prospect, you should hang up the phone a fuck immediately and figure out what you're trying to do wrong. If the Rays trade Blake Snell, almost World Series hero, uh, who is respectively making $10 million, I believe $12 million, and then $16 million, with three years of control left. He's 28 years old, yes, but he is an elite, in my eyes, starting pitcher. Mm. You mm. have another case to make in this situation. Well, I just – I have questions that I, 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 like you, held Blake Snell in high regard. I do still trade. hold him in that way, but yes. I, that, that's fair. But looking at the numbers, he's a big strikeout guy, so his numbers will always be flashy. Uh-huh. And being a big strikeout guy, that means the advanced analytics will always like him because Blake Snell excels at the one thing pitchers are uh, glorified to do, which is limit contact and limit hard contact. And if you strike out a lot of guys, you're clearly limiting contact. Um, but it's a pretty big but. Only one year, and of course he won AL Cy Young that year, he has he made 30 starts? That's the only year he's thrown 180 innings. That's the only year he's posted a F-war above three. It You take... You take a four-year sample from Blake Snell and stack it up against Marcus Stroman, and he's not Marcus Stroman. And I'm not saying this as a guy that I love Marcus Stroman. He's a New York man. I'm very happy he's a New York man. I'm just – I the conversation surrounding Marcus Stroman is very different from the conversation surrounding Blake Snell. And part of that is earned because Blake Snell has a Cy Young to his credit. But is Blake Snell overrated? I think the answer might be yes. Just following, I think the answer might be resounding yes. Following Blake Snell pretty closely as I – own him not only in a dynasty league, but I am a Rays fan. Over the yeah, past, by the way, you lost that dynasty league trade that you got him in. Uh, it was just straight up for Giancarlo. Oh, never mind. You lost the Giancarlo trade, though. Thank you so much. For you, yes. I traded Tatis uh-huh. Jr. Uh, sure did. Like an idiot. So there you go. Uh-huh. I even said, I'm very happy about I even that. said during the trade, enjoy your future three time MVP winner. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. I'm very happy about that. So, yeah, congratulations. Anyway, thank you. Um, that being did said, you also give me Giolito, by the way? I did. Yes, it still yeah. hurts. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Okay, good. Glad you remember. Um, yeah. Yep. Yeah, I just wanted to remind you. <laughs> Yo, no. Yeah, don't forget. Um, Blake Snell uh, <laughs> suffers from – he kind of is inconsistent in the way that, like, he'll have a, a start where he is absolutely lights out, and the Rays will pull him in five and a, five and a third, like almost guaranteed. 5.1, they bring him out no matter what. He can have nine strikeouts, 5.1, he's coming out. As soon as he sees the third time through the order, it's done. He's done. And that's exactly what they did in the World Series, no no doubt about it. But he has this inconsistency where he's either lights out or he's four earned runs. That's kind of where he is. And I think that's what you're kind as, of seeing. Like, Well, yeah, and as someone that has bet quite often on days when Blake Snell pitches, and I have, I'm probably 50-50 on those bets, it's, you know, 
It's fair asking the question. That's all. That that's that's my larger. It's, point. it's fair to ask the question. Now there are prospects the Rays got back in this trade that I'm not familiar with. Usually I'm a gigantic prospect nerd. Absolutely know well, way too much about it. You but, know, you, we know Patino. Absolutely, very familiar with him. Um, he's any top, other any other for almost any other organization. He's their number one prospect. It just so happens that the Padres are drunk on prospects and have a guy named McKenzie Gore. Yes. Patino is very good. I'm excited to get him back. It's the rest of the prospects, including one I used to be incredibly high on in Mejia, like an incredibly high prospect ceiling in Mejia. Now, he's not a catcher anymore. I think he's barely an outfielder. I don't love his defensive metrics. But the Rays are the Rays. Like, this is what they do, right? Like, he clearly has hit tool. He can do that. But there's also that guy. What was the, the catcher name? Hillcox? I think it was Brian Hillcox. Like, apparently. Yeah, I hadn't heard of him. Me either. But apparently, like, they're stupid high on him. And, like, that might be, like, that was, like, their quote-unquote, like, the pe- person they were happiest to get other than Patino. So, like, I don't know what the Rays do. This is what they do. They get these guys. You're like, who are these people? And then a couple years later, they're, like, two war players. And then they'll probably get, like, I don't know. What do you think they get from this? How many? How much war per year? Like six? Like maybe? Uh, per year? <laughs> yeah. Like might might be more. I I'm convinced the Rays will either figure it out with Mejia or trade him to someone for someone really good, and then that guy is just going to be the guy where like Jesus Christ, they basically got this guy for Blake Snell. Unbelievable. This is what they do. I they just... trade for the war. Like the the it's it's they don't play for the individual players. They they do some of the whole parts. Yeah, and I I saw a lot of talk on the on the Twitter yesterday about how this Blake Snell trade is another example of what's wrong with baseball. This is this is analytics going too far. Blah blah blah. First and foremost, I think if you own a baseball team, you should be willing to spend money. I forget it. The Rays, it, the Rays, if they trade Kevin Kiermaier, which they probably will, by the way, they will be shopping him. Yeah. They have more outfielders than they know what to do with. It's absolutely ridiculous. Uh, he, he makes $11 million. That would bring the raise down to $33 million for opening day. That's insane. Yeah. It it's, it's embarrassing for the game of baseball that they allow a team to operate on that tiny of a budget like that. That should be in some way discouraged. I agree with that. Pay the players. You know, we're big, get the bad guys. I don't, there's never been a time in our lives where we've criticized the player for chasing money. Always chase the fucking money. It's that simple. Get your bag. This is your one opportunity to do it. At the same time, while I agree that the Rays should just spend money, they've perfected turning what are perceived to be enticing assets into just a whole lot of everything. Like, what is was Blake Snell above the level of Chris Archer when they traded Chris Archer? Probably because Blake Snell's got har- Blake Snell's got hardware, but that that Chris Archer trade demoralized, like, destroyed one franchise. And sent the other franchise to the World Series. So at some point in time, you just kind of have to trust the Rays. Yeah, it's sure. It looks grimy. It doesn't look pretty. But my God, Tyler Glass now, Austin Meadows. Yeah, that so was so much. That got. was a haul. That's like stealing. But the, but at the same time, even at the time, there were questions that everyone was asking about those. Glass now was an imperfect prospect. I I that like that trade at the time. On. I was very Aust- interested. Austin Meadows. People were worried that he wasn't going to live up to the hype. Uh, he, he, he was already trying to get a little bit towards that post prime prospect glow. Like I, I think at some, at some point in time, you just have to trust the race here. And I, I just, I don't think Blake Snell is this star that you believe him to be. If, I just, if he's your number three pitcher as what he is on sure, the Padres. But that, you could say that about anything. He's probably going to be the number four pitcher if they go out and get Darvish. Oh my God. 
So what's the Darvish package rumored right now? Because that's the only name I've seen going to Chicago is Compusano. All right. And I'm very high on Compusano and I think he's great, et cetera. Um, I don't think the Padres, I I'm sure they would trade him, but I, I don't know how you get Darvish without, without Cubs are broke. That's how you get them. Are the Cubs really, are they they really They need to move the money. That's great. They, the, the, the team I've seen the most, uh, when it comes to, this team can't afford living the life of luxury that they used to live. It's always the Cubs. They're Everyone's always talking about how the Cubs. It's a gigantic market. There's a there's a distinct possibility that Chicago, more than any other market, is almost directly dependent on fan revenue, fan generated revenue. So you take a year away from that. That that's why Chris Bryant's name was out there a lot, not just because he had a bad year, but because he's due for another big, hefty raise in arbitration, which is why his name was being floated out there. Uh, it's some people believe that's why Theo Epstein decided to leave because the team is heading towards a teardown that he doesn't want to be a part of. Um, that's future Mets president, Theo Epstein, by the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I, I think for, you shouldn't Darvish's contract is hefty. It, it's up there and it's got like four years left on it. So it's yes. You Darvish is a very good pitcher, but we aren't that far away removed from that first season in Chicago Darvish had where all of us were asking the question of, is you Darvish cooked? I know it was a year ago, like legitimately. Yeah. I I'm, I wish the best for the Padres. It's cool that they're going for it. That's a great sports story. I have to be honest. A lot of times it doesn't work out. It really doesn't. It, it, it hasn't worked out for AJ Preller before. Like, no. I'm old enough to remember when they traded for the Uptons, Craig Kimbrell, they splashed money around, and with by the All Star uh, the trade deadline, they already got rid of half those guys. I know it's insane. Uh, I, I I can't remember a bad race trade. I really can't over the past couple of years. I'm sure if I really dig, I'll find one I can nitpick and go from there. The only the only one I can think of, uh, but it wasn't even that bad because he hasn't been good since the trade. I can't remember them getting a good player for Evan Longoria. I know Christian Arroyo yeah, was the they big got player. Lucius, Lucius Fox and a couple other whatever. I'll, I'll look and it up. And they turned Lucius Fox into something else, right? Yeah, and they, they did. trade him again. Yeah, of course they did. It's it's very crazy, and I understand, but he has. It's not like Longoria has been ripping it up. He's no, he hasn't. Been, he nothing. hasn't been good. He hasn't been good. In San Francisco. Dude, as soon as you leave the, the race, they just get bad. Like there's going to be random bullpen people that just show up this year on the race, and they're going to pitch like a couple of lights out innings. They're gonna, Who is that guy? Like I have no idea. They're like he had two Tommy Johns in the last two years. They found him in the side of the road in Texas. Like, and, it, <laughs> and we're not. And it's not to say that the Rays are perfect, right? right? We both agree it is an embarrassment how they just let Charlie Morton walk. Dude, I think stupidest thing of that, all time. Th- that that deal, if you want to be angry at the Rays, be angry about Charlie Morton. Because quite honestly, Charlie Morton's first year in Tampa Bay is better than any year that fucking Blake Snell had I thought with they the had, Rays. Blake uh, Snell won us by young. They declined the option. I believe it was. It a doesn't team make any option. sense. Like you could have what? picked up the option. You could have you could have picked up the option and traded him for money. At they, least then you would have gotten a bag they, in return. They said like, oh, we're still looking to get him back just at less money. My dude. Just pick like, up pick what? up the option and then if you can't afford to pay him, trade him. That's it. This isn't that hard. Oh my god! Are you trying to win or what? Like, yes, I know you're trying the char- to win. The Charlie but- Morton stuff. The Charlie Morton stuff is inexcusable. I don't think this Blake Snell trade is bad. I would go so far to say that I, I trust the Rays with Blake Snell. I don't think Blake Snell is special. I think he's very good. I think he makes a lot of teams better. I don't think he's an ace. I don't think he's a guy you build around. And quite honestly, I don't think he's a guy you trade a top thirty prospect. I, I for. So think the, fact the Rays. That the Rays 
Yeah, go on. They got they got a top thirty prospect for him. I think that's good business. I think for three years left, you should get a little bit more than what they got, in my opinion. Now I'm being a little bit biased. Absolutely. If you got so you're saying essentially what you're saying is instead of Patino, if they got Compusano, you're smitten. If they got Patino and Compusano, I would be like, okay, we're good. We're good. If they got both, not yeah. just one of them. If they got both, I'd be well, yeah, I get it. I totally understand. I get why you would do that. Because with the Rays, in my mind, at least what I think they're doing, is they, they're looking at the landscape, right? Okay, we made the World Series. Was a little bit fluky? Yeah, maybe. In a shortened year, like, yeah, we have the pitching. Yeah, we have the, wrong, the, the, we have the young talent. Yeah, we have the bullpen arms, etc. But our real, like, our real talent is still to come. Like, Wander Franco is the number one prospect in baseball. He's coming. And we have to play around him. And we want to have our window be open for him. So we have to move it back a little bit. And we have to do it Ray style. So let's start trading away our expensive assets now because we want to have that window open for B. When we have the, possibly the number one superstar in baseball, which we hope, we want to have a successful winning team around that player. That's my theory. Or they're just doing race shit. That's, it's one or the other. Uh, I, I think the Rays, more than any other team, devalue starting pitching in a way that is abnormal. It, what the Rays do is abnormal. And the Rays may be convinced that they can do it with just about anyone. And they might be right because they're mad scientists. Um, and, but dude, everybody Blake Snell's coaches- value to the Tampa Bay Rays is not as high as Blake Snell's value to the San Diego Padres. The, I think that's very, the brain very drain, clear. you know what a brain drain is. It's like when you get all, all of your good executives and all the decision makers you have just get taken away. And that's continually what happens there. Everybody that is, is, is sorry, Jesus is successful. there, like just gets hired by another organization for a lot more money. And yet they still continue to do it. I like, it doesn't make any sense. It makes no sense. So, but the people in charge of the Rays right now are basically Andrew Friedman disciples. Andrew Friedman set the set the standard in Tampa Bay. That's correct. And now everyone that follows them is just in the mold of Andrew Friedman. And by the way, Andrew Friedman went to about four World Series with the Dodgers and had just won one. And the Dodgers are stupid deep at every position, and money doesn't matter. Like, the Rays could be the Dodgers if they just spent like the Dodgers, but they don't. Would the Dodgers have traded Blake Snell? No. I don't think so. But also maybe because this team traded Alex Wood like six times. I'm not saying Alex Wood is Blake Snell, but Alex Wood ain't no slouch either. He's a very good pitcher, and they kept turning Alex Wood into other things. This is a team that traded or let go of Zach Greinke. This is a team that they, the way the Dodgers work is just, it's all player development, like Walker Bueller, Dustin May. The, the, the Dodgers being so deep of a farm system is what allows them to get Mookie Betts. The only teams that have deeper farm systems than the Dodgers are the Padres and the Rays. That's it. Like, that's it. So it makes sense that the Padres, the Rays see this imperfect piece, which is Blake Snell. Can't stay healthy. I don't care what you say. Man can't stay healthy. Three of his four full seasons of Major League Baseball have been interrupted by injury. He dropped a, 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 a vase on his toe getting out of the shower, yes. Buddy, staying healthy is a skill. I don't. It, it is. That's one of his injuries. He's been placed on the DL multiple times in his career. It's a fact. He's he's a starting pitcher on a team that doesn't give a shit about starting pitching. That's a fact. He's highly valued by other organizations in the league. That's a fact. He's under control for three additional years, which makes him valuable. And maybe the peak of his valuable value right now 
all things considered, coming off his season, in which, by the way, he allowed 29% of home runs on fly balls. That's a ridiculous percentage. So technically speaking, his value probably couldn't get any lower than it is right now. And yet, I just, I get it. You got a top, you got a top 25 prospect. You got other good pieces. I don't think Blake Snell is special. I really don't. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm the one drinking the Kool-Aid. It's possible. Wouldn't be the first time. No, nope. I just Patrick Mahomes sends his looked... regards. <laughs> yeah, I, I was I was just flat out wrong about Patrick Mahomes. I really was. I don't don't look at me to evaluate young NFL talent, but I'll tell you, you shouldn't draft running back second overall. That point still stands true. Also, Daniel Jones is kind of butt. Also, so is Dwayne Haskins. All those things I also said. Um, I I don't know, man. I I'm not. If I'm the Rays, I feel like this is a perfect storm to trade a guy that just maybe isn't that good. Maybe and I think we're gonna and find also, out just how. Maybe ask Blake for a Snell trade. Is. Maybe. Well, who knows? Maybe ask for one. Um, all right. I think that's it for now. Let's see what happens with the Padres. We'll be back next week. If you guys are still here, thanks for listening. We love you guys. Talk to you guys later. Bye. Shout out to George Springer, future Met great. Yeah. Okay. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.